Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Megan Talks TV. I am Lee. I am here. I am joined by Spencer. Spencer! Say hey, the people. Hey, everybody. Spencer, we are on the last episode of season one of Disney's Mandalorian titled The Redemption. We have found ourselves at the end of this journey here. Spencer, how are you feeling? It's been a long journey, my friend. We have wandered through the mists. We've had months lost in a desert, but we have found our way at the end. And I'm not only excited to go through this episode, but I'm excited that I now can watch Mandalorian season two. I know. It's interesting. Like, if you want to, like, if you want to motivate Mangum Talks TV to actually bang these podcasts out, it's give us a new season that we need to get to, because that's <laughs> when we turn it up. We're doing like we're on a two week, two episode a week pace, which we've never done since I guess since our, our Game of Thrones days. Mm-hmm. <laughs> anyway, we're here. We've realized the proper incentives that we need to actually get working, and I'm curious to ask you, having now rewatched this episode, what did you think? I loved the finale. Loved, loved, loved the finale. Really, really enjoyed it. I, you know, I think of the, the season as sort of the introductory few episodes, then the few episodes that were more um, serial in nature, kind of like, uh, or not serial in nature, um, what is the word I'm looking for? Like, kind of... Um, they're tight, right? They're, they're individual episodes that are episodic. That's what I'm going for. The more episodic um, middle of the season. And then toward the end of the season, you get these these two episodes, which I really consider one as the finale, episode seven and episode eight. And I, of all the episodes in the in the whole of Mandalorian season one, I would say that, that episode seven and episode eight are my favorite. I kind of consider those one episode. How about you? You know, this is, I'm afraid, going to be one of the more contentious episodes of the show, because I really feel that this episode embodies a lot of the traits of Star Wars that I really don't enjoy. I think it's really just a mix of all... I'm fucking with you. This is a great episode, but it... Jesus, man, I about <laughs> choked on my tea. Damn, Spencer. I couldn't believe... That would have been a hell of a hill turn to not like this episode. <laughs> now, it's always fun to mess with... As you guys well know, Lee and I have a great relationship when it comes to Star Wars, and every now and then Lee debating ways to murder me when I say unkind things about the Star Wars we just watched. But in this case, this one was great. There are There's some yeah. willful suspension and disbelief that has to happen, but it's exactly within the classic Star Wars vein, and I don't care. It was just so much fun to watch. Yeah, completely agree. I mean, you had, you know, it's a enjoyable episode from like a point A to point B, like what's happening as you're following it. It's just entertaining. Good storytelling. There's a lot of, which we'll get to in Nostalgic Moment of the episode, a lot of good throwbacks to the Star Wars canon, inside jokes, references, a real, real big reference right at the end um, to the to the books. And it's particularly the Legends canon. It's all been tossed out, but obviously this show is pulling some of those elements in. And then you also have some massive character development and in typical Star Wars form character development of a droid. We do. This, you know, this has been a really interesting season in terms of just focusing on the droid perspective and the droid personality in a way that we got. We, we of course got a lot of R two D two and C three PO, but we all it was got to the point where we viewed them as just fellow characters. We never necessarily viewed them in the like of what would the unique experience of being a droid be in this universe. But I think this season's really touched on it in a few very interesting ways. Yeah, I completely agree. Okay, well then let's get to. The episode, when we review these episodes, I do a recap of the episode. Then we go into best line of the episode. I am Emperor best line of the episode. I decide that. And then Spencer has a segment which we call nostalgic moment of the episode, which I think we can really 
we can expand a little bit, right? And we can do nostalgic moment or nostalgic thing or reference or what have you, right? Nostalgic 42 minute period. Just <laughs> it's pretty, it, yeah, it's pretty chock full. Um, okay, let's uh, jump into the recap. Start with the asinine stormtroopers who took poor baby Yoda. <laughs> um, they are on their speeders. They clearly have swooped baby Yoda up after Quill has been gunned down in the streets. And they are, they, they park and they're looking down on the town. Uh, do you know the actors who are playing these two stormtroopers, Spencer? Uh, solely for the reason that I looked them up, so I will give you credit for your, give, give their names. Jason Sudeikis and Adam Pally. I didn't know Adam Pally. Uh, it would, I didn't know the name. It was one of those I know the faces when I Google it. Of course, yeah. I, I actually did notice it was Jason Sudeikis on my very first watching of this just because I like he's, comedy movies. He's, and, yeah, he's, he's pretty in my zeitgeist. Exactly. Yeah, I heard it. I was like, is that fucking Jason Sudeikis? I looked it up. Yes, it was. Um, he... That wastes no time completely alienating himself to all of the Star Wars fandom by gasp, punching Baby Yoda and telling him Repeatedly. to shut up. Yeah, well, one punch is particularly bad, but this one, he just kind of, hey, shut up. Um, which there were so many memes of like, like him doing that. And then it was like a cut to like, you know, tossing him off of like a bridge into like lava or something like oh, the yeah. Lord of the Rings meme or something like that. Like so many memes around Jason Sudeikis punching Baby Yoda. Um, and that was right. This this episode de- debuted right about the time that the Baby Yoda fever pitch in this country was at probably an all time high. Uh, so the fact that we it was like reaching that sort of like everyone was talking I Baby don't know Yoda. How to to that. Oh, that's Siri talking to me. Um, <laughs> Baby Yoda reaches like everybody's talking. To, presidential candidates are being asked to comment. Elizabeth Warren was asked to comment on Baby Yoda, and then we have an episode where Jason Sudeikis is punching him repeatedly in the face. <laughs> it, it was it was fascinating when we first watched this episode. We talked about the the, the uh, day after to realize just the utter shitstorm this actor was facing as a result of just what he did within the role. It was fascinating. People were calling for his blood for something he did in character as a masked stormtrooper. Yeah, very funny. Uh, they say they're waiting. Com- so they they um, call up, I guess, somebody who's in the town. Maybe their their troop Mission leader or whatever. Control. Yeah, they say they're waiting confirmation. The person on the other end says that they are go to proceed, but they should be careful. The moth just touched down, and he took out a squad of local troopers. <laughs> <laughs> I love their responses just to pause and go, okay, we're standing by. We'll wait here until you give us the okay. Yeah, and it was funny because, yeah, that's what Jason Sudeikis' character did, but then Adam Poff's character kind of took a beat and then went, wait, did he just say that Moff Gideon killed his own men? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he did. Uh, pretty much in keeping with uh, with the Imperial bosses here. Uh, particularly, it's like, like we talked about last episode, this is really just, again, establishing Moth Gideon as a Darth Vader-type figure. Because it's just almost... It is taken to the point of just hyperbolic, the idea of Darth Vader occasionally killing an officer, to now Moth Gideon just kind of announces his presence by eliminating whole squads of people or shooting officers that talk back to him. That's just how he goes. Absolutely. Uh, very much in that vein. And then we have a great little back and forth, pretty funny, of one of the troopers really just wanting to see Baby Yoda. He's like, I want to see what it is. Um, he tries to get get in there with like, hey, well, maybe uh, it's it's thirsty. Maybe this thing is thirsty. Maybe I can look at it. Um, the other trooper exclaims, did you not just hear that Moff Gideon killed his own men just to make a point? Great line from Jason Sudeikis here, really working his comedy chops. I get that point. I get it. Do you? 
No, he doesn't get it. No stormtrooper ever gets it. And that's a that's a great inside joke of like the stormtroopers being like Vader killed twenty stormtroopers. Okay, I guess I have to pretend I understand why he did that. <laughs> yeah, I, I need to rationalize this in some way and find a way to keep going about my job because this is my job and I don't have a choice now. And then Spencer in a scene, oh my god, it's almost like doing an SNL skit of a Star Wars scene, except. It didn't really take me out of it because it was so brief, but it was the stormtroopers trying to shoot the the spare part that was at max 15 feet away and missing by at least a foot. It, it, <laughs> it walked a fine line. I think the reason it worked, and I agree that it, it was it was riding that SNL line. I think the reason it worked, though, was because there was no dialogue. Because they don't acknowledge it, because they don't talk about it, but they're just, you know, one's shooting and missing, and the other one just looks at him and just kind of shrugs and then starts shooting again, missing too, was just really funny. And it, though it pushed the line, I don't think it crossed it. And it was so brief. I think that yeah. helped it too, right? Uh, eventually they run out of blaster fire shots, which is also really funny because they each had about two blaster fire shots. <laughs> it's like, bam, bam. They well stocked. <laughs> Well-stocked Imperial troops here. The other yeah. trooper asked to give... This is, yeah, again, going back to this, let's look at it. Um, and finally, uh, he says, no, let's, you know, Jason Sudeikis' his character says, no, you know, he's still resisting the urge to, to look at the thing. He then, you know, fires up to mission control. Any update yet? Uh, that's a negative. He just killed off an officer for interrupting him. <laughs> this may take a while. <laughs> to, to what, I'm assuming that mission control is accurately reporting this, though. I'd find it hilarious that mission control is just fucking with them right now. <laughs> I, th- I think he's probably telling the truth from what we learned yeah. of Moff Gideon later. Um, and then they uh, they do actually look at... Um, yeah, and what, what know, gets him to finally look is, dude, you did punch it several times. Right. Let's make sure it's okay. Because if this thing is dead and we just deliver a dead baby Yoda to Moff Gideon, can we imagine what he'll do to us? Tough little bugger that baby Yoda is bites the guy's finger and then... <laughs> He hits him oh. real hard. I was not a fan of that. Nor was da 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 da. Here he comes. IG eleven makes his entrance and arrives with. N- <laughs> he does not arrive guns blazing. He arrives purely just. I am the. I am the. The uh, child's nurse droid. I ask that you stop give him back that. to me. Yeah. Well, he starts with stop doing that. Yes. That's the very first thing we see. Is just stop hitting him. Speaking mm-hmm. for all of the Star Wars fandom, there, IG Eleven <laughs> um, introduces himself as a nurse droid, which gets a chuckle out of the troops. They're like, hey, "The nurse droid, nurse droid, IGs." I thought they were what do you say? Um, hunters. Hunters. He says, "Well, I'm not anymore. I'm a nurse droid." They confront IG Eleven, and Survey says that was a bad move because IG Eleven quickly dispatches them in a pretty brutal manner. I mean, just like yeah. ripping the one guy's arm and bashing the other guy's head in, and it happens in like five seconds. It, it, it was shocking. That was, you know, th- there's a lot of violence in the Star Wars universe, but it's usually not that kind of visceral if you just see someone beaten to death. Usually it's, you know, they're shot with a blaster, <laughs> or they drop, or, you, you know, somebody loses an arm cut off, or you just hear about Chewbacca ripping somebody's arms off. Seeing somebody, you know, just l- shattered into pieces as these rammed into a speeder bike was kind of gnarly rough. It was. That's a really good, good way to put that. Like, it's really uh, rare in the Star Wars universe that you see somebody just bludgeon to death. <laughs> it's yeah. true. We don't see it. But it was very quick. And IG-11 even ad- addresses that for all of us. He says, I'm sorry you had to see that. That was unpleasant. Mm-hmm. Uh, and IG-11 takes off with Baby Yoda. And the thing that struck me as this scene ends is 
you know, they left us, you know, we were at a fever pitch in the fandom for loving Baby Yoda when episode seven happened and he was taken by the Empire. Yeah. Or what's left of the Empire. And they do not leave us in suspense about that for very long, which I thought that was a very good thing to do because until you get Baby Yoda back into the hands of the heroes, I'm not going to pay attention to anything else going on in the episode. <laughs> so it's very really good to go ahead and do it so that I could concentrate on whatever narrative they were trying to play out for the rest of the episode. Yes, from, from, in terms of a cathartic way to start the episode, seeing both A, Baby Yoda returned, and seeing the two stormtroopers that had been repeatedly punching him for the first five minutes brutally mauled, I'm back in. I'm ready to focus on whatever you have. All prior distractions have been removed. Though, 100, yep, go ahead. I assumed, and I'm curious to your thoughts, when we saw IG taking off here at the end, I assumed at the time he was going back to the ship. Yeah, I did too. <clears throat> However, you, when he when we get to that moment, let's discuss IG's sure. decision not we'll to do that. Um, we cut back to Kara, Apollo, Creed, and Mando. They are watching the stormtroopers, and they see the stormtroopers setting up a very large cannon, which Kara uh, correctly pegs as an E-Web um, repeating cannon. Um, mm-hmm. I don't know if the e- E-Web you, that, that rung a bell for you, but we it, first see the E-Web cannon in the Battle of Hoth. Um, it's also referenced uh, extensively in multiple Legends books. Oh, th- this is a very iconic weapon. I friggin' I owned the collectible the collectible card for this weapon. It's that iconic. Um, mm-hmm. So yeah, instantly recognized it, and again, just shows how much Favreau just loves the lore. The moment I saw that, I went, "Oh, that is perfect." Yeah, it's the little things. He's a fan. Mando uses a heat sensor to locate a sewer vent. And Kara tries to blast it open. Kara's response, the Kara's impulse for everything is to shoot it. Pretty yes. much. Pretty much. Uh, <laughs> I'd say it's about 50-50 success when it comes to this episode. Yeah, this is this is one of the fails. She's not able to blast open the vent. And then comes a hell of a monologue. Give him the Emmy now for the most successful methamphetamine distributor in all of the Sun Belt. <laughs> My man, Gus. Mm-hmm. Um, who says he would like to see them prevent further violence. Hardy har har. Uh, references the e-web they set up and says Kara, correctly referencing her as a soldier from Alderaan, would recognize it as many of her service members have been killed by a similar model. Mm-hmm. Tough. Then he says, or perhaps here it comes, Spencer, wait for it. The decommissioned Mandalorian hunter Jin Jara has heard songs of the Siege of Mandalore when gunships outfitted with similar ordnance laid waste to fields of Mandalorian recruits in the Night of a Thousand Tears. A lot to unpack here. First and foremost, we get a name for Mando, mm-hmm. Jinjara. Um, second, you know, now with both of these characters, he is not, you know, he's, he's referencing, hey, you, you, surely you know about this canon I have here. It destroyed your people, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, bringing up unpleasant memories for both of them. So yeah. it's yeah, pretty, just, pretty, pretty mean move there. Yeah, and you know, just, just to complete it before we analyze it, he then also goes into the uh, uh, Apollo Creed, uh, or Grief Kraga here, as a disgraced magistrate, which is an yeah. interesting thing too. I thought that his his he was a little light on the details with grief because he I think he you know obviously does not respect grief as much as the other two because he's kind of like yeah you disgrace pos like yeah you too yeah but um, it, yeah it's, it's also with grief that there's less of a shock value associated with the fact he knows he's there and who he is because right. that was fully expected for the other two that he knows them but he freaking knows Kara too that's really weird 
Wasn't expecting Jin, her to be there. Yeah, Mando's body. I mean, Mando's body language here. I mean, he goes full Marlo. My name is my name. How dare you put my name in yeah. the streets like that, Moff <laughs> Gideon? Um, yeah, how dare you name check me? Um, and Moff Gideon tells them to lay down their arms. He then claims he'll kill them all if they don't come out. Apollo says, what do you suggest, yeah. Moff Gideon? Let's talk about Reasonable it. negotiation. Apollo, <laughs> what assurances do you offer? And he basically, I'm not going to read the whole thing, but he basically says, look, if you're asking if you can trust me, you cannot. Um, however, I will act in my own self-interest. And it's funny, Spencer. I make the joke about him being the absolute lowest priced methamphetamine seller in all of the greater Phoenix area, but he's acting the same character, right? That is Gus right now. Gus is, <laughs> this is Gus's distant ancestor in a galaxy far, far away. This is who it is. <laughs> it's that line. Absolutely. Said by Gus. Yeah. When he's like, yeah, cause the, then that's what made me stop and, and make the point when he's like, however, I will assure you that I will act in my own self-interest, which at the moment, in, you know, in, includes your cooperation or something like that. But he's yeah. totally doing Gus. Yeah. And two questions here. First question, based on the fact that he knows their names, whatever else, and is prepared for this moment, when he did was just landing on site, is this further evidence, like we talked about a few episodes back, that he has been following them and monitoring them for a while now? Yes. Just want to make sure we agree on that. that it adds further credence to the idea of what we debated previously when he walked up to, um, oh, mm-hmm. uh, what was what was what was the name of that one assassin that was shot on Tatooine? I'm trying to remember her name. Uh, Fennec. Oh yeah, Fennec. yeah, Fennec. Fennec. Yeah, the one who's pretty good. Yeah, we assume that was probably him. I think this provides further evidence that this guy has been tailing and monitoring them from the shadows for a while now. And it I think makes, my, I let my review of that scene be clouded by watching later episodes because I was like, yep, it's Moff Gideon. Like I always wanted to jump right yes. there because I think it's pretty clear after he delivers this monologue that he's just been watching them and following them and he's finally caught them. Question number two. Do you believe him that he wants to take them alive? And if so, why? Uh, I don't think he wants to take all of them alive. Yeah. That's I fair. think he probably wants to take grief alive because I think it's in his self-interest to ensure that Navarro continues to run, um, you know, semi-successfully uh, as a parastatal of the empire. And I think that grief can be a way to do that. I think he would gladly kill Kara. No questions asked. I'm not quite sure he would do what he would do with Mando. Yeah. I, I think it's in his interest to take them to then have the luxury of deciding what to do with them. I very much agree on, on grief on Apollo Creed that that maintains a level of continuity and ease of control that he currently does not have. It is expensive and time-consuming, and he doesn't want to do it to maintain a constant garrison like this. He'd much prefer to work through a local. That makes perfect sense. The other two, maybe you want. I think to he's probably going to kill Kara, because it's, I mean she's yeah she's a apt she is a rebel soldier right like yes, and what we and what we know I mean I'm bringing in some of the canon here but what we know about Moff Gideon is he is a he is absolutely a zealot for the empire yes hundred percent as much as the empire as as much as the emperor as much as maybe um snoke um probably more than darth maul and definitely more than darth vader yeah it's it's one of those things where most of the imperial officers that we see in the course of the movies and television shows everything else they're i would not say they are zealots by any definition they're professional soldiers they're they may support the cause politically, but they're not like emotionally diehard for it. 
Moth Gideon is just the extreme of the extreme of the extreme for almost anybody we've seen that's not like actively wielding force powers in terms of just diehard loyalty to this. Yeah, the only other moth that we really see um, in the really what I would call the casual canon, right? Like the first three movies, maybe, or you know, like what a casual Star Wars fan would see is Grand Moff Tarkin. Yes, uh, who's in A New Hope, and I can tell you, I've read enough of the books, old canon and new canon. Grand Moff Tarkin was very much he believed in the Empire, he believed in it politically, politically, but he was nowhere near the zealot that that Moff Gideon is. No, and Moff and. Grand Moff Tarkin also very strongly believed in his own advancement. That was a key. He, he viewed the Empire as an excellent means to that goal. Yep, absolutely. Um, oh, I missed a joke here. Um, Please. When, uh, when our, our uh, chicken salesman from um, Maricopa County uh, mm. was given this, um, this speech here, he does explain to Apollo Creed that he'd gladly get his Dolph Gundren, Lundgren on and kill him very quickly. But um, right at this moment, he needs Apollo's cooperation. And we did talk about that, but I wanted to get the Dolph Lundgren um, <laughs> reference in there. You completed your joke. Yeah, and then Gideon says they have until nightfall. And then we cut back. Underrated funny line of the the episode for me. I don't know if you this one made you laugh out loud, but Apollo Creed turns back and looks at them and goes, I say we hear him out. It's like He's got a few of those this episode. I would have looked at him and be like, You just completely you just completely broke. Like yeah. what are you talking about? Hear him out. We just heard him out. He's gonna kill us, you idiot. Yeah. Hear him so, out. Well, I mean, from his perspective, like we said, he probably has the best odds of surviving this. So he's got a bit of a, his own motivation. But yeah, from the rest of the perspective, that was like, okay, we listened to him, and now you've completely converted to his cause. We're screwed. I say we hear him out. Kara dismisses that so fast. Mando doesn't even acknowledge that he had said this thing. Kara mm. says they'll kill us anyway. Apollo muses, um, you know, who, you know, who is this guy? We're we're here talking about him as Grand Moff Gideon or Moff Gideon. He might be Grand Moff at this point. We don't know. Um, but they don't know who he is um, at uh, this point. Mando until, does. Until Mando speaks up, Mando says he is Moff Gideon. Yes. Apollo says that can't be Moff Gideon. Great, here, great uh, background here, I think, um, in that Apollo says he can't be Moff Gideon. Moff Gideon was executed for his war crimes. So that tells you a couple things about what these characters know about Moff Gideon. One, he's supposed to be dead. So, whoa, what the fuck? Why is this guy here with mm. with substantial power of what's left of the Empire? And two, he's such a bad guy that he was actually executed for war crimes. And I can tell you, think about how bad you have got to be for the New Republic to execute you. Yeah, I can't think of many examples of that. I was really almost caught off guard when they said that. It's like, I don't remember there being Nuremberg trials in the New Republic. No. There was more of just a... Eventually, we defeated you and we incorporated you back in kind of thing going on. Yes, they were very uh, very Alexander the Great that way, right? They were like, yeah, 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 I, I, yeah I, I'm going to slap my name on this. I'm going to put my, my, I'm going to do the Trump. I'm going to put my name on the building, but, you know, you can keep the building kind of thing. But they, the idea that they would have even proposed to kill Moff Gideon for his war crime shows you just how brutal Moff Gideon had to have been. Um, Mando says that he's not heard his name, Jinjar, and spoke since he was a kid. Um, uh, uh, Apollo Creed says on Mandalore um, uh, Mando says I was not born on Mandalore Apollo but you're a Mandalorian Kara Mandalorian isn't a race Mando it's a creed Mm -hmm. and we get a hell of a flashback to finally complete these nightmares that Mando's been having all season 
Now, question for you. The first time you watched this, when I had you at gunpoint uh, sitting on my, my couch <laughs> making you watch this, did you know that Mandalorian was not a race that was a creed? You know, honestly, before this show, I knew about individual Mandalorians, and I knew about their very distant history, you know, like fighting Jedi kind of distant history. The more recent, I wasn't as actively familiar with, and so I probably would have been uncertain or even picked wrong when it came to that. And it makes me wonder, this might, and I, you know, if we have some listeners who are, um, you know, really uh, Star Wars, really Star Wars fans who may have some background on this from, and we'll even bring in Legends literature here. Um, for this question, you know, definitely get out of some mangumtalks.com up a right hand corner, contact us, let us know. But I think this might have been the first time this was ever explained in the Star Wars canon. And again, if you if anybody out there knows different, you know, let us know. Um, but I I didn't know, and I can't figure, I can't find where this was ever divulged um, within the Star Wars canon, and I'll include legends there. I think this might have been the first time we ever learned this. If it is either new or if it is a clarification or if it is just making clear the existing lore, it is great. I much prefer it to it being some kind of genetic legacy. If it is a philosophy that is compelling a warrior people, I find that much more of a fascinating concept. Yeah, me too. Then we get a flashback. Um, and basically what the flashback tells us is that Mandalorian, uh, Mando, uh, Jinjara, I should call him Jinjara in the flashback because that's who he was at the time of the flashback. He was a young child. His parents were trying to protect him. They eventually put him into some underground storage unit. Um, immediately upon closing the door, it's pretty clear that his parents were killed. Uh, doors open. It's a droid. Okay, Freudian. Let's get into the psychology of Jinjara. And this is why he hates droids. All right, it's all connecting for us. And then we see the droid get sort of exploded from the back. And do 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 do. Uh, it's a Mandalorian who has saved Jinjarin. He picks the kid up. Um, the kid, you know, kind of hugs onto the Mandalorian, and he takes off in the jetpack. And presumably, this is where uh, Jinjarin gets taken, as he explains, to be a foundling on Mandalore and train with the Mandalorians until all hell breaks loose on Mandalore. And based on what we see, we get to see a lot more detail here than we had previously. These seem to be like Trade Federation Separatist Crisis kind of droids. That we're, that we're saying right here, I guess. What, what, yeah, what, what, yeah. What do you think? Yeah, it seemed to me to be a classic, like, and you, you know, you get this in the Star Wars literature, a classic, like, you know, the Empire strolled into town, the locals put up some semblance of a fight, and then it was just scorched earth. Right. And that's then, what I was guessing happened. For some, for some reason, we don't know why, a man, a Mandalorian group intervenes. And starts putting down these droids and ultimately saving, saving. Uh, now, we'll be, now we can call him Mando. So this is actually not surprising that this happened because in the lead up to the Night of a Thousand Tears, which is when the Empire, basically, as I've put it in previous podcasts, just had enough of the Mandalorian shit and came in and just wrecked havoc. The Mandalorians were pushing back on some of the tyrannical aspects of the empirical rule. When they when they would go too far, the Mandalorians would check them, and I think this was an this is an example that we're seeing uh, in the new canon of the Mandalorian stepping in and saying, you know what, look, take the fucking planet, but you don't have to kill all these people, and that this is the type of action that caused the Night of a Thousand Tears, where the Empire just had enough of it, and then uh, they what they brought to bear on Mandalore, you know, in the in some of the the Legends canon anyway, as explained, is the full brunt of the empirical forces, which was, you know, enough to overwhelm um, the really well-stocked and well-garrisoned planet of Mandalore. 
Because while Metalor used to be, you know, an intergalactic power, that's much more of their distant past. But they, though they were kind of isolationists, they were still very strong. It probably caught the Empire pretty off guard from being more politically active than they had been, you know, certainly recent memory. And so the, fact, so the fact the Empire dedicated significant resources, which is always the problem the Empire had during the Galactic Civil War, is being able to ever pool together enough resources for any particular situation without having to run the whole damn galaxy. Yep. Was meant to be a symbol. And it was, as we still hear still see people talking about it. Yeah, the songs the songs are sung about the Night of a Thousand Tears and what happened to Bandalore. Um did you notice, Spencer, great uh just storytelling and cinematography cinema, uh cinematography here, that when young Jinjarin holds on to the unnamed Mandalorian and then they start to take off in the jetpack, that the Mandalorian theme music plays? You know, I didn't. I'll have to go back and watch that. I didn't notice that. Yeah, it did. And I, I really liked it because it's like, it's kind of, the story, the, the the way that they're shooting it, the way they're telling you the story visually is like, and it, it is, this is the time, this is when he becomes a Mandalorian, right? This is when he becomes the Mando that we know. Mm-hmm. And this kind of personal background, the, uh, him being raised, him being taken into, taken in by the Mandalorians, being raised as a foundling and raised into the fighting corps gives him the knowledge about the the fact that this guy knows my name that I have not used now for decades mm-hmm. strongly suggests that he was the um, he was the Imperial Security Bureau officer essentially in charge of the attack on Mandalore Moth Gideon yeah exactly so that's that's yeah kind of we got lost in the sauce there but you know pulling <laughs> pulling together Mando's explanation of how he knows this guy is Moth Gideon is you know when you know the the attack on Mandalore happened, the basically the person who came in and, and took the the registrar of the people on Mandalore, um, with all of their actual real names, was Moff Gideon. Yeah, and so in spite of all things and all news about you know the reports of his demise, he's here. He's got us by the hip. What do we do? Mm-hmm. And yeah. at the at present, they think that the only reason that they're alive is because he does not have the kid. They're right. Mm-hmm. Though not for the reasons they think. Yes. Um, yeah, Mando says, you know, we're alive. It's proof he doesn't have Baby Yoda. He says, I was worried when the I was worried when the Ugnot didn't respond. Come on, Mando. Dude, he earned a name. Come on, Mando. You, 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 and he, then he immediately gets on the, the, the little walkie-talkie transponder type thing and says, Quill, Quill, come in, Quill. So he's using Quill to his face, but still Ugnot behind his back. I think we, our hero might be a touch racist. Spencer. Just a touch. But we have seen this now. We've already knew about droids. We did not think it would also include Ugnaughts. I'm legitimately disappointed. This is, I feel like, a very uh, racist. This is a Me Too moment right now. We need to talk with Mando about this. A little red statish. Um, <laughs> Mando incorrectly thinks that, uh, well, the, the as Mando is saying, Quill, Quill, come in, Quill, he hears cooing, which is. <laughs> Really great. And it is Baby Yoda. One thing we're going to see in this episode, and we're going to see, I'm going to go ahead and spoil it for you, Spencer, in future episodes. Baby Yoda likes himself a good ride. And He likes a ride. He likes the wind hitting his little ears. Mm -hmm. He's enjoying it. He's cooing. He's having a good time. IG-11 explains that Quill was terminated. Mando incorrectly thinks that IG did this. What did you do? He says, my base function, to serve and protect. Mm -hmm. IG-11 then takes the speeder into overdrive. It's clear now he is going toward the city. Spencer, I tabled that discussion previously about IG's decision not to go back to the ship, but to go into the town. Why do you think he did this? 
I think he believes... Well, there's a couple of reasons. One, he may not be able to pilot the ship, which is probably a long-term factor. But two, I think he ultimately believes quite correctly that the only way the child will actually be protected is if his guardians are protected too. I don't think he necessarily thinks he has much of a chance of taking out these guys by himself, but collectively, this is the only way that they get away, and that's probably the only long-term way the child survives. I th- So I agree with you. I think he, he, he thinks that the child needs his protectors, but I also think... He understands that, you know, the danger to the child is so so pressing and so acute that he's got to kill these people in some way. And the best yeah. chance of doing that is to pull resources with Mando, with Kara, with Apollo Creed. Damn straight. And so he goes into town, guns blazing in a way that I almost assumed he couldn't still do, but the programming is still there. Full Grand Theft Auto. Just <laughs> driving fast, spinning out, and shooting every goddamn body. IG-11 seems to just be shooting uh, uh, shooting stormtroopers here too, which shows that he is acute, he's very aware of the threat to Baby Yoda, but then also their political allegiance, right? Yes, to the point it leaves a very funny scene of where he just casually drops, as he's driving past full speed, he drops two stormtroopers and leaves a Jawa to pick up the pieces as he goes by. Yeah, no, the jaw was like, "Woo, a glory day!" <laughs> yeah, I'll take, uh, I'll take the uh, belt some, off this fella. Yeah, I got some blasting armor here. It's great. Um, he IG eleven uh, flies into the platoon of stormtroopers that are out in front of our heroes here, and he just starts killing a lot of them. Uh, he this gives Kara, Apollo, and Mando cover. Mando uses that to take off to grab the E web. Smart thinking on Mando's part. Um, works very, very well. Until it doesn't. <laughs> well, it's interesting. It really heavily mirrors his initial meeting back in like episode one or two with IG-11 of when he grabbed that um, floating turret and machine gunned the entire the entire um, courtyard of mercenaries to get in to originally rescue, uh, originally grab the child. Very much. Mando's like, hey, look, you know, I've seen this programming before. This will work. He's going to cover me. He goes in, he grabs Z-Web, he starts firing. Other stormtroopers then blast their way into the building, kind of onto the side that Kara is in. Kara, boss, she does not, she doesn't take very long to just completely eliminate these stormtroopers that busted up in her, uh, in the room that she's in. Moff Gideon then, just all kinds of confidence. My Mm -hmm. God, the swagger on this man. Woo! Approaches Mando, shoots him, um, but he's got this teeny little blaster. Shoots him. Uh, Mando, you know, of course it hits his armor, so it just kind of stuns him. He gets up, he collects himself. He aims the E-Web. Moff Gideon looks like he's toast here, but fires at what I think is some sort of like energy unit. Yeah, something like that. The, yeah, that's near Mando's feet, which completely explodes and seriously hurts Mando more than I thought he was hurt upon the initial explosion. Yeah, it's one of the things where he was blown down, but we've seen him kind of knocked down by blaster fire before. But come to think of it, I don't think we've really ever seen him caught in an explosion, which yeah, I think it would make sense that, that would ultimately hurt him more than just direct blaster fire going off and mostly reflecting off his armor. Oh, absolutely. I just didn't think he was as hurt as I, he ended up being, but he is very hurt here. Um, Kara, Apollo, grab Mando, take him and retreat inside. Moff Gideon then gives the command, burn them out. And the single most intimidating stormtrooper we've ever seen walks up with a flamethrower on his back. Yep, we do. We've got a flamethrowing stormtrooper. Spencer, uh, quick fact here: doesn't matter how well you. It does not matter how well you aim with a with a the flamethrower. <laughs> it's like perfect for a stormtrooper. It's like, hey, yeah, you can't hit the broadside of a barn. Here you go. Here's a torch. Yeah. Can you aim forward? 
good. Pull trigger, die. Which is exactly um, what he starts doing. Baby Yoda, I don't know if you caught this, there is a brief moment where uh, they pull Mando in, they lay him down, and Baby Yoda gives a look over to Mando, and he is not happy that Mando is hurt. He has has noticed that Mando is hurt, and he is responding. And like you said, originally I thought this, okay, he's he's classic hero injured. He's got the wind knocked out of him. Maybe somebody will have to carry him. Maybe he'll be limping a little bit. <laughs> sure, fine. No, this guy's skull's broken in right now. He's bleeding yeah. internally. It's bad. Yeah, it's uh, it's not good. Um, yeah, he's uh, it's like King, like it, it's sort of like a, a Prince Balar situation, right? Like he's got sure. his helmet on, but if you take the helmet off, I don't know if his head's going to fall apart or what. Great reference. Um, IG explains to Apollo that if he ever goes near the child, he'll have to kill him. Seems a little overkill to have to explain this, but he does. <laughs> Apollo just gives him an exasperated, I know, can you get this thing off? He's talking about the steward, right? Mm-hmm. IG says yes, and he starts to burn it off. Uh, and Apollo, speaking for all of us, I love IG units. <laughs> that we do. And meanwhile, this is an interesting and heartfelt scene between um, Mando and Kara that's happening while they're yep. trying to get this grade off. Yeah, Mando says he's dying and Kara should leave him. Uh, Kara, it's pretty firm she's not going to leave him, uh, but Mando just keeps pushing. Mando knows he's seriously, seriously injured here. Um, then the flame tro- uh, flamethrowing stormtrooper comes in. Um, we see the, hear the ominous music. He points the flamethrower at Baby Yoda. Baby Yoda, sensing danger, closes his eyes, centers himself, hand goes up. He stops the flame. And it's interesting to show, I think, the way they shot that, I mean, of course, it's we're all super excited that Baby Yoda used the force to stop the flame. But if you watch it forty times, like I have, you notice that he he not he doesn't just stop it. He uses his hand and the force to start to move it to mm-hmm. move the flame. And he's kind of doing these odd little semicircles with his hand. And we've seen Yoda do that mm-hmm. before when he was moving things. Um, you know, multiple times. Um, but the one I'd, I'd point out is when he was picking up Luke's uh, X-Wing on Dagobah mm-hmm. and showing Luke, you know, size matters not. He, he doesn't just lift it. He kind of does this weird little semicircle thing with his hand. And that's what Baby Yoda's doing in the scene. It's like he's redirecting the force. It's not It's not like he's just yeah. commanding something to do something. He's under, naturally understanding the energy that's moving around in the room and just redirecting and controlling it accordingly. And, and that's exactly what he does. <laughs> and, and in terms of beautiful Star Wars shots, this room on fire, man, this TV show really does fire great. Because the fire yeah. that's burning in this room and the looks of all the characters, the ash that's falling, and the baby Yoda walking his little Yoda way into the middle of the room and stopping the flame and blowing it back on what apparently is called an incinerator stormtrooper, great name, is just beautiful. This is one, one of my favorite shots in the entire season. It's a great point, and I, you know, I, I did a little bit of a disservice to the recap. I'm glad you pointed this out because, yeah, the stormtrooper does eventually aim the thing and shoot at Baby Yoda, but Baby Yoda puts himself in in way of of harm. Like he he, he steps out knowing I got to handle this situation here. He does the little semicircles with the hand. His eyes are closed. He redirects the flame, and all of the flame in the room just bottlenecks out, fires on this unsuspecting stormtrooper who then gets exploded. Gets yeah. completely exploded. He is a pile of armor that just lands outside by the time he's done. And like we talked about before, Baby Yoda does not immediately pass out, but this clearly takes it out of him quite a bit because he sits down a little bit and he flops back. Yeah, it does. I mean, obviously when he uses the Force in this way, it's 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 draining for him, although it doesn't, like you say, it doesn't completely knock him out. Um, 
Kara starts to leave IG-11, tells Kara to take the child and says he will stay with the Mandalorian. Interesting move there. And I think that this move by IG speaks to your theory about why the IG unit went to the city, right? He's He understands the best thing for the child is if I can get Mando with the child and safe because Mando will protect the child. So he, in this moment, does something that maybe puts the child in a little bit more harm by giving it straight to Kara, says a hold in it, because he's trying to, to make sure that Mandalorian's okay. And I really enjoy IG's role throughout a lot of these interactions with the other characters, is that the other characters, because they have decisively different viewpoints on everything, have a nasty tendency to kind of talk themselves in circles. Meanwhile, IG just walks up and says, here's a kid, I'll take him, you go. Good, Mm -hmm. good, good. Moving on. And now, Spencer, do you think he does this? Sorry to cut you off, but yep. I have a quick question and then we'll get to what your but your point was. Do you think that he sends Kara off with the child because he recognizes the only way to heal Mando is to take his helmet off and Mando won't do it if Kara's there? Yeah, that, that was about, about the point I was going to say is that I feel like he's having very successfully two different conversations with two different people and is tailoring them each for each one. Of where his ultimate goal is, I need to heal this guy and I need to make this happen. By the only, and the only means that happens by getting everybody else out of the room. But he tells each, he sets up for each character to have what they need to think to allow them to do this. Tells Kara that, yep, I'm going to care for him. I'm going to get him out of there. You have my word. Meanwhile, he's setting up for Mando to believe that he's staying behind so that he can kill me so I'll die with honor. Yep. And the fact that both of them believe those things allow him to accomplish the third thing he actually wants to do, healing this guy. Yep. Yep. Um, Mando says, so Kara leaves with Baby Yoda. We're left with a scene where just the IG-11 and Mando. Mando says, do it. Just get it over with. I'd rather you kill me than some imp. Now, a name for, imp is a derogatory term for Stormtrooper, right? Mm, or for any Imperial, yeah. Imperial, yeah. Oh, there you go, imp. I'm, God, I'm, I'm thinking, sorry, I was thinking short person. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it's terrible. <laughs> Again, we are Game of Thrones fans also. Man, yeah, seriously. Um, IG, I told you I am no longer a hunter. I am a nurse droid. IGs are all hunters. Not this one. I was reprogrammed. I love that line. Not this one. Like, <laughs> who's got two blasters and is not a hunter droid anymore? This, this guy. guy. <laughs> IG says he has to remove Mando's helmet to help him. Mando threatens IG, says it's forbidding. It's forbidden. No living thing has seen me without my helmet since I swore the creed. IG says, I am no living thing. Interesting back and forth here because I think that Mando incorrectly projects humanity onto droids. And that is why he hates droids so much. And that's why it confused the shit out of our boy Quill because Quill was like, you don't seem to understand droids. And IG has hit right to the heart of this, of this problem that Mando has is that Mando is projecting humanity on the droid when he He's not, and, man, and IG has to remind him, I am no living thing. This comes up later. Right. This is what Quill was trying to tell him, is that droids are not either good nor bad. They're a reflection of the will of the people that originally coded them. They're masters, or in the case of Quill, not only reprogrammed him, but retaught him. Mm-hmm. And so if you trust Quill, if you're respecting the fact that he died for you, goddammit, uh, you need to trust this droid right now. And it's, He does. It is very much a mix between, you know, like a... Um, a Macbeth Shakespearean moment and a Lord of the Rings kind of moment of where this is the understanding of what the prophecy was actually saying all along. Like no living thing could see me out my, out my helmet. I'm a droid dude. And Mando just kind of goes silent for a second and just, Oh, Ooh, seems like we do have, so we do have an out there. <laughs> okay. Take off my helmet. Now I'm not going to fight you. And we get to see Pedro Pascal for the first time this season. Then we see 
The Red Viper himself. Spencer, I always drink wine before a fight. It is, in fact, the Red Viper. It is Pedro Pascal. Um, he's been under there all along. And I like that it's Pedro Pascal in many ways dressed down a bit. He does, it, seeing Mando without his helmet, it's not necessarily like the most stereotypical superhero hero of the story kind of look. It's a relatively normal guy that's had the shit beat out of him. And I appreciate that kind of element of Mando is impressive for what he does, not for necessarily the image he conveys. The armor conveys the image. It's the man that does the deeds. Yep. IG says he's going to apply Banta spray. That's another just great, great reference to the Star Wars canon here. I love it. Bacta. Bacta. Sorry, Bacta spray. But anyway, it it has been referenced. The reason Spencer was able to very quickly um, uh, correct me there is not because he's watched this episode so many times. It's because (laughs) Bacta spray is like... It, it, it's been referenced many, many times in Star Wars canon. Yeah, for, for those who are looking for a visual from the cla- from the classic movies, uh, when Luke got beaten up badly by that Wampa back on Hoth in the second movie, Empire Strikes Back, yep. when they submerse him in that tank, that kind of weird tank where he's floating around with a breather, that is backed up. It is the mm-hmm. ultimate. He- it is the ultimate healing kind of gel slash slime slash liquid in the Star Wars universe. Yeah, and, and no, Chewie is known for carrying this around in the books. Um, mm-hmm. Uh, Mando, IG says you've you've hurt your central processing unit. Mando takes a double take there and says, "You mean my brain?" IG, that was a joke. It was meant to put you at ease. <laughs> Spencer, question for you: What's the MSRP on this fucking droid? I gotta get me one. It's amazing. Not only is it reading the creed of Mando and mm-hmm. and dealing with the you know respecting the creed of the individual in order to get the response that he. What, the actions that he wants, a response out of Mando that he wants, which is to be able to take his helmet off. So he, he's been able to internalize, okay, well, he won't do that with humans in the room. we got to get the humans out of the room. He's does, he does that. Mm-hmm. He has the thing. He happens to be equipped with the thing that will save his life. And then on the way out, giving him a little bit of a joke, Spencer, got to get me one of these droids. I mean, just in terms of bedside manner, can we have this droid teacher course to, act to doctors? I mean, like Joey could use some guidance from this guy on bedside manner. <laughs> A friend of ours who's a, who's a doctor. Um, sometimes I think we forget that people listen to this who aren't our college buddies. I, I, I'm, just, I'm hoping for Joey because I'm going to get a text here in about a couple days just saying asshole. That's what I'm hoping for. Yeah, we'll you, see. You, yeah, we'll see. <laughs> then Mando and IG meet uh, Apollo and Kara. At first he's being carried, uh, but very quickly he's able to walk. And IG says, hey, it's working. Um, yeah, don't give me any thanks here. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> I don't know if you, you caught that, but when he said, hey, it's working, you know, it's kind of like I was waiting for somebody to turn around and be like, hey, good work. No, nothing. Um, Mando then um, finds tracks because uh, he, he says he's trying to find tracks. He's just right. trying to figure out if, if here's what he's trying to do here. I think I think down in the sewers, he recognizes, oh, I can get to where, you know, other Mandalorians are where I got this armor, where I found the, the, the blacksmith who made the armor. So expects, let me try to find her. He fully expects the covert. At this point, Mando does not know that the covert has been taken out. He assumes the covert is still down there. But there's still a lot, of Mando, a lot of Mandalorians that are hiding out in the sewers. And last time we saw them, they busted him off of Navarro. So I think he's hoping for round two. Uh, unfortunately, the, the Empire, though individually may not be that strong, have the weight of numbers and also the advantage of knowing where you are. And clearly, they were remarkably and brutally successful when it came to fighting this covert back in the past. Uh, I didn't take it that way. 
Because he finds, let, let, yeah, let's let's, let's have this conversation because he finds a pile of armor, of Mandalorian armor. He bends down and he takes one up. Now, from your comments there, are you suggesting that the Empire came in and wiped him out? I'm suggesting that there was a battle and at least several members of the Covert died. Now, I think that this pile has probably mostly been assembled by the armor for just ease and consolidating resources before she moves, rather than as just a really wasteful symbol that the Empire left behind. But she does strongly suggest that... I think they just left, Spencer. I, I think that the, the implication here... <clears throat> I think, you know, when you first see it, I think you're meant to think that Mando thinks they all died. But then he says, he, he points to Apollo. He says, did you do this? And Apollo says, no. He says, they're mercenaries. They're not zealots. They left. Mando doesn't seem to believe this until the the, the lady Mandalorian um, walks out, who I think Mando, if he had his druthers... It would be Lady Mandalorian 1, Lady He Left Back in That Bog Rice Farm, number 2, I think yeah. on the list here. Uh, uh, number 457 is um, the lady with the the lady that he, he, he locked up as prisoner, right, on that, uh, on that Imperial yes. prisoner ship. Tonks that he left <laughs> locked in the room, yes. Um, but here's why, here's why I think there were at least heavily casualties. And I can only, you know, I, we're, we're, we're interpreting this, it's not purposely made kind of ambiguous, but... When Griff's talking about, you know, their mercenaries, I interpret that to mean his own hunters rather than the Mandalorians. About how when the battle stopped, my men melted away because the Empire showed up and everything else rather than saying the Mandalorians. And when Mando asks the armor, she's literally just called the armor. She doesn't have a name, right? Yeah, I think I, think, I call her Lady Mandalorian. Lady Mandalorian, great. We'll stick to that. We we set our terms and we stick to them on the show. Apollo's um, talking to Lady Mandalorian and Gus is outside with the flamethrower. Yeah, we're all over the yeah, place with Apollo the names. Creed hanging out next door. <laughs> it, it, it's a mix. You work with this place. But he asks her, did any, did any survive? And her response is, if she had more information here, I feel like she would have conveyed it. But all she says is, I hope so. Some may have escaped off world. Well, that tells well, me some... That, before that she says they exposed themselves she she did but when they when they were rescuing mando i presume um so i don't know how many died but i think it was a lot probably not the whole covert but i'm thinking we're being led to believe here from some of this dialogue that it was a rough day for these mandalorians now as yeah. said there's a lot of ways to unpack the scene i don't think it's any clear answer yeah, because so. I think yeah, I think we're going to land on a slightly different interpretation of this. Sure. I thought that they quote exposed themselves. They took their armor off and walked out, um, and that's why their armor is in this nice, nice, neat little bundle here. Is because they they just left and she, And when he says, "Did they survive?" She's like, "Well, hell, I hope so. I don't know, but hopefully they got out of here." Anyway, yeah. that's yeah. that's my interpretation. Yeah, I, I agree. A lot of people I've seen online were saying that oh, this was like the, the Empire left. This is a symbol of the Mandalorians. It's like. No, that would just be dumb. This is my. No, they keep it. Yeah, <laughs> they would keep it and melt it down because we know they've already done that. That's how Mando got his armor. Now, in my in my mind, whether this was casualties or purposely left behind for the armor to consolidate, this is a pile the armor herself has put together. As as we see her d- disassembling and breaking down the, this armor into easier to move chunks so that they can relocate somewhere else. Yeah, she she says. Um... He says, you know, you should come with us. And she refuses. She says she's going to stay and salvage what remains. Um, 
She's salvaging the armor, clearly. Mm-hmm. She then asks to see the prize. Mando explains, it's the thing that saved him from the mudhorn. She sees Baby Yoda. She says, it looks helpless. Great line for Mando. It's injured, but it's not helpless. Its species can move objects with its mind. Great great writing here, because that's about the gist of what Mando understands. I, Go ahead. I love that line. And her line that follows is just so dripping with lore and myth and all the ways I love about the Star Wars universe of where we finally get the mention of the history of the Jedi. I, I, I even wrote it down because I love it so much. I know of such things. The songs of Aeon's past tell of battles between Mandalore the Great and an order of sorcerers called the Jedi that fought with such powers. I love how much this is steeped in this kind of just oral tradition that's being passed through them. These are like the foundational myths of our people with the Jedi being at the heart of them. Mando, still playing catch-up here, looks at Baby Yoda and says, is it enemy? She says the Jedi were enemies, but Baby Yoda is not. He suffered a head injury, dude. He's he's not at his best right now. He's playing catch up, like you said. Yeah, she says Baby Yoda is a foundling, and is in Mando's care. Now this is very important in the Mandalorian Creed. You take care of foundlings. It's going to be even triply important that Mandalorian do so. That Mando Mando does so because that's how he's alive today. Is because he was a foundling. Somebody took him under their care and um, and saved his life. She says, Mando needs to reunite baby Yoda with its own kind. Great line here from Mando. You expect me to search the galaxy for the home of this creature and deliver it to a race of enemy sorcerers? Her, this is the way. <laughs> yeah. I, I, it's that's perfect. it. Yeah, that's pretty much it, dude. That's a perfect exchange right there that just summarizes the situation. Yeah. Kara says, uh, I'm paraphrasing here. Um, guys, we need to get the hell out of here. Uh, Lady Mandalorian says they can pick up a stream that I guess um, is like a lava stream and that will uh, feed them out of uh, of the sewers. Mm-hmm. Mando tries to stay. She says, I'm going to stay here with you. And she says, that foundling's in your care. And for now, you're its father. And we Heavy finally have somebody there. put into words the nature of their relationship. Exactly. Yeah. That's why I pause there because it's like, We've all been considering Mando the adopted father of Baby Yoda, but now somebody's finally calling it out. Mm-hmm. She then says, great shout out to the, the conversation they had previously. Now you've earned your signet. Mm-hmm. So if you remember when <clears throat> he was getting his, his armor, um, you know, there, there was a conversation where Mando talked about, you know, he earned the armor by killing a mudhorn. And she said, oh, well, that can be your signet. He said, I didn't earn it. You know, basically, Baby Yoda helped, or somebody helped me. Something helped me. She, he didn't, Baby Yoda wasn't there at the time for that conversation. He said, something helped me. I didn't earn it. Now she's saying, look, now you've earned it. Here's your signet. She remembers the mud horn and she places it on him. And you are, you are a clan of two that mm-hmm. he has essentially created. Until the, their covert is reestablished, he has created his own. She asked if he... Um, how it was trained in the Phoenix, something like that. Some weird, weird line, um, sort of terminology here. But basically, what she's asking: Were you, do you have checkback credentials? The Rising Phoenix, very good. Yeah. And he says, "Yeah, yeah, I was trained." So she gives him a fucking jetpack, Spencer. Oh. The the signet, great, awesome. Hit me in the feels. Jetpack, markably more important. This is one of those things where this is like this. This is really speaking to the view, the video gamer in me, of where like I feel like I've unlocked all the gear now, and now I'm just, 
I, I am now full Boba Fett and I'm just giddy. Woo, we have jetpack now. They hear some blaster fire and IG-11 turns the corner. Um, he's clearly killed the people who had found them. He says, mm. you are protected. Uh, again, Spencer, fucking need me one of those droids. Um, definitely, like, desirable level for that droid. Like, in the Star Wars universe, equated to our universe. Like, new iPhone? Above new iPhone? Oh, well above new iPhone. We're talking about new iPhone. New, new PlayStation? New, like, PlayStation keep, 4 keep, situation? Keep, keep going, man. We're, we're, we're hitting a whole new Even higher. <laughs> T- well, whatever it is, it's higher. It's it's more money than Spencer's willing to pay. What I'm not saying I'm paying for it. I'm talking about what yeah, you're bothering me. I'm not spending money. We've talked about this. <laughs> they leave and we get a modified version of the theme music as they leave, which I thought was really good. Um, because um, anytime, I, I've noticed anytime you get a sense of history of Mando or Mando is doing something that I believe is the storytellers are trying to tell us is innately in his character. Mm -hmm. You get the Mando music, you get the theme music and here where he really steps up and basically says, yeah, I am the father of baby Yoda. Um, That, that triggers the theme music, which I thought was good storytelling. The lady sits down, stormtroopers approach. They don't know what the hell's going on with her. They kind of knock her on the side of the head. Hey, what the hell's going on? Uh, she hops up and, uh, and and kicks some ass, I believe, is yeah. how we could we could phrase that. Yeah, it's one of the things where I was debating what her long-term plan was here, of where, you know, like, you, you stay, the Imperials were controlling the city. What are you going to do? You're staying here. Clearly, her long-term plan is, just like they did before, to just weather this. It's like, I'm going to kill the guys that come after me right now by luring them in with overconfidence, and then I'm just going to wait. It's what we did. Eventually, they'll blow over or forget I'm here. I can consolidate the resources, and we can go from there. And at least on step one, it seems to be going okay. Cut to Apollo, Kara, IG, Mando, and Baby Yoda approach the lava river. Now, Spencer, um, something you don't know about me. Yeah. Um, I'm scared of a lot of stuff. I'm scared of heights. Mm-hmm. Um I'm scared of uh, things I don't know. I like to I like to be yeah. know. I like to know. I like to be in control. Uh, one thing I've been scared of my entire life: uh, lava. <laughs> well, the Star Wars universe is rough for you there, man, because lava has a tendency to show up. Yes, um, I was. I, I'm OG afraid of lava. I was afraid of lava before you have the higher ground. Anakin mm-hmm. got lit on fire with lava. Always been scared of lava. So I would have been. I'd have noped right out of this situation. I'd have said there has to be another way. But they approach the lava river as if, as if it's a normal river, as if it's like no big deal. Yeah, we'll just get on the fucking lava river. Okay. Unbelievable from our heroes here. Mental note in terms of you know we, we we do another podcast where we watch you know movies that we watched in like the late '80s to early '90s that aren't necessarily the best movies ever but we enjoyed. I'm have a recommendation for next time now that I know you hate lava. Did you ever see Volcano with Tommy Lee Jones? <laughs> I did not. For a volcano, please tell erupts. me about it. And I got another one for you. <laughs> a volcano erupts in the middle of L.A. Go. That's basically the plot. It's kind of a shit movie, but if you hate lava, we gotta watch it. Okay, I got another one for you. It's okay. a movie called Dante's Peak. Oh, sure, yeah, with um, Brosnan, Pierce, right? Pierce Brosnan. And, and at one point, uh, spoiler alert, everybody who didn't see this 1997, just thriller of a movie, uh, Pierce, Brosnan, Pierce Brosnan has to um, help them get a boat that is starting to um, decompose because they're in an acidic uh, body of water mm-hmm. they gotta he's gotta move it down so he has to jump into this acidic body of water and let his his legs um 
just completely uh, burn. Yeah. Um, reminiscent of a scene we're about to see. So yeah. Uh, yeah. what I'm trying to say here is uh, maybe 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 Favreau's stealing from Dante's peak. <laughs> maybe maybe he's borrowing a little bit. Between <laughs> between that and Terminator 2, we have some definite homages that are happening in the scenes that follow. What, what? Delorean homage to Dante's peak. Hot takes here on Mangum Talks TV. Very possible. Very possible. <laughs> One thing just to note for everybody about lava in real life. Uh, the all these movies we've just mentioned and Star Wars repeatedly have the same thing in common. And that apparently they don't believe that convection is a thing. You don't die. Falling in the lava will obviously burn you and, and kill you. However, lava is also really, really hot. It's molten rock. If you got as close as they did to it, as I heard one uh, uh, prior professor describe to me before, that if you ever drop something going towards lava, it has a tendency to, you know, boil and pop before it ever actually hits the lava, because that's how hot lava is. If they got in a boat that was riding in lava, they would have at a minimum all passed out from the heat before they even got there. For another, and their liquid would have boiled. But again, lava does not work that way in Star Wars. I'm okay with this. And Mando's already in pit stain situation, right? Like, yeah. he's already got this thing on that's super hot. So, yeah, pretty stupid. But I, being the good uh, movie file that I am, having watched Dante's Peak, would want no parts. <laughs> Of, of this Great goddamn reference. lava field. Would have forgotten entirely. They see a boat and they think that a accompanying droid is fried. Apparently there's a droid that like helps that boat move. Uh, the boat seems to be sort of like hung up or, or stuck uh, to the dock. Um, and our girl Kara, doing what she does best, just blast it. And that kicks the boat out. They hop on and they start going down. And this fairy droid wakes up. Yeah, it's just a- and starts to talk, and this is how dumb our heroes are, Spencer. This fairy droid wakes up, starts to talk. Someone, who is it? I think it's Apollo that goes, does anybody speak droid? It's like, you got a fucking droid with you, dude. Look, he's right there. It's like, again, this is just racism right here. They're even forgetting the droid's a person and he's standing there. Forgot he's a person. Look at you, Mando. Um, <laughs> they say, take us down the river, which is kind of an interesting thing. It's like, what he IG says, well, the fairy droid wants to know where you want to go. It's kind of like, well, there's really only one way here. Yeah. Kind of a silly, silly back and forth. Try to go upstream? I, I can try. They start to go. And as they approach something like the outlet, Mando, using his heat sensor, sees there's a whole bunch of stormtroopers up there waiting at the gate. At this point, something very interesting happened, Spencer. It's a moment that maybe a lot of our, our viewers just skipped over. I would like to shine a light on it. Please. Kara tells the fairy droid to stop. The fairy droid does not stop fucking immediately, and she blows its head off. Yeah. Now, you're doing that right in front of the IG droid. Yeah. Don't you think he'd be a little unsettled by this? Yes. Yes. I, it's... <laughs> It's very much in fitting, in keeping with what we've previously seen of Kara, is that when confronted with a situation that does not meet her immediate expectations, her solution is gun. If that does not work, use more gun. God, I can't believe she just shot that droid right in the head for no reason. Yep. I mean, you didn't give, even give it a chance to stop. And by the way, what does stop mean? All that stop means is he doesn't do another stroke, and it didn't look like he was doing more strokes. Right, it's a river. It's a river of molten lava. You're going to go in the direction of the lava at all times. He's just giving you a little extra bits of, you know, char on the river sticks kind of speed right now. Nice reference. And to your point, after she 
absolutely unnecessarily blows the head off this droid, the boat is still drifting forward and they have to brainstorm what to do. Apparently, there are just way too many of these stormtroopers for our heroes. Little bit of a suspend belief here because with the IG droid, they've been able to kill, I don't know, 30 of these things at the time. They still have Mando, Kara, and Apollo, all of which are armed, and they still have Baby Yoda and his magic hand thing. I would have taken my... Uh, chances um, dealing with these stormtroopers when we got up at the outlet of this river, Spencer. Right. What about you? Well, they're framing it as if it's going to be a certain defeat. I'd at least give them, you know, 40, 60 kind of odd, kind of percentages right here. I agree. They've done pretty well against these kind of numbers before. I think the stormtroopers are in a much better position this time. They It's not like they have anywhere they can really go. The stormtroopers can kind of, at their luxury, hit them from any direction that they want. But like you said, they got the armor, they got the weapons... I don't think this is a sure defeat. They're certainly treating Mm. it that way. They treat it that way. And IG then says that they won't be happy with anything less than the child, which is unacceptable. So he's got to go take them out. I really like it. Really gangster move here by IG. He's like, look, they can't take the child. Unacceptable. I'm going to have to go handle the situation. He explains that he's not permitted to be captured. He'll he'll self-destruct. So we're starting to get the... um, details of the plan that the ig droid has cooked up in his head so basically he's going to go out there he's going to get within the presence of the stormtroopers who will then attempt to capture him not knowing that that will trigger self-destruct and whoop kablooey dead stormtroopers Mm -hmm. and this is very much in keeping again we are getting a lot of references back to the first couple episodes of the season of where previously mando had to continually talk him out of doing this from when they were surrounded by the mercenaries when they first met yeah, Spencer, do you have the back and forth here with Mando and IG? Because if you don't, I can do it, but I'll be um, paraphrasing a little bit. How far back do you want me to go? Uh, did the, they will not be satisfied. Um, yeah, okay. yeah, I want to do the, the where he's trying to talk him out of it, and then you know the IG droid has to reassure, you know, explain to Mando yet again, I'm not a human. Okay, well, we, we, we've got... Um, okay, so he hands off uh, Baby Yoda to Kara, uh, which he actually, uh, actually hands it back to Mando this time. And Mendo says, wait, you can't self-destruct. Your base commanders to watch the child. That supersedes your manufactured protocol, right? Right? IG, this is correct. Good. Now grab your blaster. Uh, IG, victory through combat is impossible. We will be captured. The child will be lost. Sadly, there is no scenario where the child is saved in which I survive, which I really like that line. There's, there's mm-hmm. this, we've always seen a remarkable amount of emotion out of IG-11, which kind of suggests he's been a droid operating for a fairly long time to kind of develop that personality. You can, yes. You can really detect the kind of regret that's in that line. Or he has done the Sadly, math. yep. He says, sadly, yep. If there was another means, he would do it. And then we get, um, we get, um, I've got it written down as Jen, but let's keep on saying Mando. Listen, you're not going anywhere. We need you. Which is a real transition on Mando's part, how worked up he's getting about this. IG? Um, please tell, tell me the child will be safe in your care. If you do so, I can default to my secondary command. But you'll be destroyed and you will live, and I will have served my purpose. And we get some dripping emotion from Mando of where, no, we, we need you. Uh, IG, there's nothing to be sad about. I've never been alive, which I... Love that line. I love, love that, that line. line. And I'm not sad. And then the final from IG, yes, you are. I'm a nurse droid. I've analyzed your voice. And he kind of, like, mixed between rubs Baby Yoda's uh, cheek and pets his head, and then just jumps in and does his mix between Dante's Peak and Terminator 2 as he marches through the lava towards the stormtroopers. Yeah, and in reality here, this is a great scene. 
heroic, you would say, by a droid. We see a lot of moments of droids being heroes in Star Wars canon. This is yet another one. Throw it on the heap. Un, not realistic at all. I mean, this droid would just like completely, <laughs> with how hot lava is, you would just completely it, tumble down into a, a mess of uh, melted steel. Yeah, it, um, it's not even necessarily the melting. It's just like, there's a lot of circuits in him. They would all immediately break and shut down with this kind of rapid change in temperature. Yeah, it wouldn't really work. But anyway, whatever. It's it makes, a cool for, scene. makes for a great scene. IG makes it out to the outlet with all the stormtroopers. They unknowingly attempt to capture him, say, hands up. The manufacturer's protocol takes over. He can't be captured, and whap, boom, he self-destructs, killing all of the stormtroopers there. Then Mando, Kara, Apollo, Creed, and Baby Yoda make it out. <clears throat> but Spencer, is that Moff Gideon's music? In comes Moff Gideon with a TIE fighter. He descends and fires, missing the first time. They're assured he won't miss again. He goes on to make another pass. Apollo says, what I'd be saying, let's make the baby do the magic hand thing again. <laughs> For God's sakes, can we try it? He yeah. motions to Baby Yoda, who just waves back. Great, yes. great scene, great scene from Baby Yoda. Yeah. <laughs> Green, do, do the thing, and Baby Yoda gives him this puzzled look and just goes, "Hello." And I love that Apollo Creed immediately, same way he did before, just goes, "I'm out of ideas. That's the one I had. I'm done." Uh, out of ideas. Mando says he is not out of ideas. He uses his newly fashioned jetpack to fly up, fires cable at the Tie Fighter, connects to it retracts the cable so that he lands on top of the TIE fighter, really making um, Moff Gideon unsettled here. I love how they shot the scene that you're not just seeing Mando, you know, um, struggling on board of the TIE fighter. You actually see shots from the cockpit of Moff Gideon reacting to what Mando is doing. It's clearly unexpected um, and he's pretty uh, unsettled by it. Mando puts a few grenades on the hull of the TIE fighter and let's go. Uh, You get one real quick yell from moff gideon here um half expected half his face to be blown off in this spencer i really <laughs> thought maybe yeah. that would uh we would get that reference uh the tie fighter wing blows off the tie fighter crash lands mando looks like he's gonna crash land too but he steadies himself with the jetpack he has been trained in the way of the phoenix spencer and he lands i'm gonna give uh, fabro credit here in terms of the nose from uh, darth vader characters in the star wars lore i much prefer no. this no from the no we get in the uh third of the prequels much better no here from from Gus than we get no. from Darth Vader. Oh yeah, the no. Well, we, which no are you talking about here? Are you talking about the one when he friends finds out Amidala dies? Uh, yes, that's the famous long lingering arms yelling at the heavens no that is just been so thoroughly parodied in the Star Wars lore. Yeah, I don't know. I I I kind of fuck fuck all the people parodying that. That was a pretty good scene. I, I, I stand by it. I, I like the prequels not. more than those people. This uh, no is I'm great. Upset. I, I, this is a better note. This is a great note, but it's from a wonderful actor if that helps. If where it's just shock, it is anger, it is all his plans failing at the last moment. And like you said, I kind of expected him either to be dead or seriously injured from this. But we'll return to that thought later. Thought he would walk outside of that nursing home uh, room with half his face blown off, but we'll see later. Uh, that is not what happens. <laughs> Apollo explains that he is staying on Navarro and he hopes Kara, this beautiful specimen, like everybody, everybody's always marveling at how hot Kara is, which is pretty funny to me, uh, will join him as a bounty hunter. And um, about this time, get the get the Kleenexes out, hitting you in the field, Spencer Pants. This might even have gotten to a, to a, a, a stone-cold person like yourself, Baby Yoda hugging Mando's leg. <sighs> If I wasn't just my heart weeping already, there Didn't get was. You. 
No, oh, I got you. It did. It was so <laughs> adorable, and the relationship these two have you know put together, despite the fact only one of them talks, has just been great. I took it as, you know, I always think that baby. Here's here's what Baby Yoda, how they've have they done it to me. He always seems to know more about what's going on than the characters in the scene think he knows. Mm-hmm. But he never knows as much as we wish he knows. Right. It's one of those things of where Baby Yoda has a very much empathetic understanding of the environment and the people around him. He may not know the actual factual details, but he understands the emotions that are at play in a particular scene. And I, that may be a certain you know force-related understanding. It may just be a certain closeness that he has with these characters. But it plays out in a lot of ways, and this is definitely one of them. Yep. Hugging Mando's like, I felt, I, I mentioned how much Baby Yoda's understanding because I, I think we're meant to believe here that, that Baby Yoda's aware that Mando just saved his life. Yeah. Mando says he's got to go. Kara says, take care of this little one, Apollo, or maybe it'll take care of you. Aww. Mando takes off with Baby Yoda on the jetpack. Back at the ship, we see Mando buried Quill. Nice touch there. Mm-hmm. Like that a lot. Mando gets into the ship, places Baby Yoda on a seat, and takes off. Did, 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 Mando's. Go ahead. Did you read the tombstone though? No, no. What's the tombstone? It just said Ugnot. Oh, you son of a bitch! <laughs> I'm sorry. Well, go ahead. <laughs> Got me there. Uh, Mando sees Baby Yoda sucking on his necklace. Spencer, do we know what that necklace is? Uh, that's the necklace that he gave to cars. Like, give this to the kid, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. We cut to the TIE fighter wreckage where I thought Moff Gideon might be dead. Um, and then I was sorely mistaken. Jawas, always up for a good scavenging. <laughs> what, uh, six minutes right after there. I mean, they, it's still smoldering and they are ready to start pilfering the parts off that thing. And we hear some, um, some, some really sharp utterances and we see the hull of the TIE fighters being cut open. Out comes Moff Gideon. What does he have, Spencer? He is wielding friggin' Darksaber. Darksaber, ladies and gentlemen. Huge, huge thing in the Star Wars universe. Now, I understand that a lot of our listeners probably aren't geeks about it like we do. Probably have not read canon beyond either the movies, maybe Mandalorian, uh, maybe even touched the animated series, but you probably haven't gone deep enough to get a lot of Darksaber. Let me read a little bit about what Darksaber is. Please. Darksaber was an ancient... Black-bladed lightsaber. It had a unique blade that was shorter than that of most lightsabers and shaped like a traditional sword. Its overall profile was distinctly Mandalorian with an angular pummel, handguard, and slit-shaped blade emitter. The sound emitted by its blade was also higher pitched than of other lightsabers. The darksaber had a crystal, which served as a conduit for force energy. The wielder's thoughts and actions guided the blade's current with power, with the blade often producing an electrical effect in response to a heightened emotional state, which is exactly what we're seeing with Moff Gideon wielding Darksaber here. Mm-hmm. The Darksaber was also capable of parrying a blow from a lightsaber. Huge in the universe. Not much of anything can do that. Mm-hmm. With the blades being drawn to each other in an almost magnetic pull. It was respected by the Mandalorians as a symbol for the leadership of House Vizla and later Death Watch. According to Mandalorian custom, one could only obtain the Darksaber by defeating the previous owner in combat. Should they have claimed it in any other way, their claim was considered illegitimate. Spencer, I'm going out on a motherfucking limb here. I think Moff Gideon's claim to Darksaber is indeed illegitimate. I think that is a fair bet, yes. This appears to be an artifact that he acquired probably in the rape and destruction of Mandalore itself. That's yes. what I would assume. 
Last yes. we saw of this in any of the lore, I guess, would be what, in the Clone Wars television show, where it shows up quite a bit. Already yeah, Darksaber's all over that thing. Um, but, you know, you, you get that this, what I actually um, provided there was from the, the Star Wars wiki, but you get yeah. most of that in the books. And all that to say is that this is an extremely powerful weapon. Mm-hmm. It might be one of the only weapons, it's probably the only weapon in the canon that can actually deal with a lightsaber. On equal to, unless it is wrapped up in cortosis or something along those lines, yeah, it is a very rare weapon. It is, in some ways, almost like a hybrid between a viper, a viper blade and a lightsaber. It is a truly unique device of ancient lore and ancient tradition that in some ways represents a very rare moment of joining together of the Mandalorians and the Jedi for a common purpose kind of associated with this thing. I think this even... Exactly. I mean, I, th- I think mm-hmm. it, if I remember correctly, it's been a while since I looked into this, but it was actually originally made by one of, if not the first Mandalorians that ever actually joined the Jedi Order. Mm-hmm. And was given to the the, the planet of Mandalore yes. um, as, you know, sort of, you know, defend Mandalore with this. It was like a, you know, a great gift of the Mandalorians who became Jedis back to the, the planet of Mandalore. And the fact that Moff Gideon is wielding this, I think is meant to be a... Um, huge, huge disrespect to the Mandalorian people. Now, one of the questions I have to ask you is that, like you said, with this blade, this blade is often associated with the, you know, the idea that the force within you can radiate and influence and affect the blade. I don't think it's necessarily required. Same like like with other lightsabers, where we've seen non-Jedi wield lightsabers on various, somewhat, in my point, in my my mind, annoying occasions. But is there a suggestion here that Moff Gideon is at least force sensitive or is this truly just an artifact that he has now taken as part of his personal involvement in the destruction of Mandalore? I have never known, never believed that you had to be force sensitive to wield Darksaber. And I think that's why it's such a powerful, um, powerful weapon and why it was given back to the Mandalorians on Mandalore by the Jedi Mandalorian Jedi mm-hmm. as a sort of, hey, you know, this is something they were able to create. It uses force energy. It's this extremely unique um, weapon, but it can be wielded by just your rank and file Mandalorian. Sure. And to see it, I mean, if I'm presuming that Mando himself would recognize this thing, given how important it is to the Mandalorian people, can we guess what his reaction will be when he finds out that Moth Gideon is now keeping it as a personal trophy? I gotta think he's not gonna like it and that's why i wanted to talk about the the history of the weapon because it's a you know we have some levels here right it's cool that he has well a it's it's interesting that he survived that half his face wasn't blown off in that nursing home uh room um you know when our when our bald friend you know blew him up under the chair like i mean he's still alive two that he even has this thing, right? The fact that we're seeing Darksaber on screen is super mm-hmm. cool. It's just great for fans of the show. But then three, it's particularly insulting that the guy who would be in charge of destroying Mandalore would have picked that bad boy up and is still carrying it around. Right. It is a great reference to see it in there for some ways because it's a weapon with its own story and the fact that it's now in the hands of this character has a story that I'm all too fascinated to find out. Yeah, really, really strong ending to the season, Spencer. Mm-hmm. Um, so with that, we have wrapped up our uh, coverage of our Mandalorian uh, season one. That's the, the recap of the final episode. Any part, any thoughts on how the the season wrapped up or this episode in particular before we jump into our segments? It, it was, 
it made for a very interestingly structured season. Like we talked about, the very beginning and the very end were very much focused on the kind of through-line lore that was ultimately propelling this, particularly focused on the relationship between Mando and Yoda. We saw some of that in the interior one-off kind of episodes, but it's really made a focus in both the beginning and the end. And it sets us up for a very interesting point, because it's given us an element of the journey continues, of where they now have a quest, they now have a great opportunity set up for all kinds of one-off episodes as we go to see Mando and Baby Yoda's journey to find the Jedi, which is, to put this in context, we're still only a few years after the Battle of Yavin. I'm sorry, the Battle, the Battle of Endor. Luke hasn't had much of an opportunity to you know, rebuild his academy on Yavin, assuming it is on Yavin 4 in the uh, modern canon law, I'm not even sure. So it's not like they're, the Jedi are necessarily easy to find. There's Luke, there's a couple uh, proto-students, and then there are a few other surviving Jedi that survived the Purge. They're not exactly a reestablished order yet. Mm. Mm. Eh? Maybe. Maybe. I, mean, it, I don't know. I mean, did you, did you watch all of the, the Clone Wars and, and Rebels? I have not watched all the Clone Wars and Rebels. I know I know from those, there's suggestions that quite a few more Jedi survived than were necessarily yes. originally suggested in the legend, Legends lore, where it was very much r- certain rare individuals. But I still wouldn't say, it's not like you can just go to Coruscant and go knock on the door no. of the Jedi Temple and talk to one of the 10,000 Jedi that are there. No, N- not, not as much all. of an option. Not at all. Um, but if you you watch uh anyway the idea that mando is now going to go chase the jedi if you've watched rebels if you've watched the clone wars does leave open the idea that maybe we will find one of my very favorite star wars characters i'm going to put her in the top three a character named ahsoka who is the padawan of anakin we might we might spencer i don't know I don't know. This is not any spoiler and it's not anything for season two. I'm just telling you that's where my mind went when I heard, oh my God, in the post maybe a couple years after Return of the Jedi, running through the galaxy trying to find a Jedi. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. Maybe, it, maybe we find her. Maybe we don't. I don't know. If that plays out in season two, you can watch the fan base just literally die of glee. Because she's rapidly become one of the most iconic and most famous of the more modern era of Star Wars characters. And to see her now transition from the animated screen to the live action screen, I, it's something they'll need to be careful with given how powerfully iconic and popular she is. But if they pull it off successfully, what you could probably hear the squeeze from space. I do think that Mando, considering the circles he runs in, the resources that he has, um, you know, the likelihood that he would find ahsoka as opposed to say a luke skywalker um <laughs> yes you know i think i don't i don't think it's particularly um reasonable to suggest that he would uh he would he would find our cast of heroes from you know the the main trilogy because they are now you know royalty God. they are royalty in the entire universe i mean yes. luke, it gets no bigger than luke skywalker leia and han i don't think our guy has the means to find this person no he doesn't even know to find those people he doesn't even know to look for them. I mean, he's, it's not like he's well-armed with information here. He's going to be walking up to each bar on each planet he goes to and say, hey, are there any magicians here? And then someone's going to pull out a deck of cards. That's about what we're looking at in terms of his, the odds of success. So I agree. He's roaming the Outer Rim. His odds of finding a Luke Skywalker or a more established Jedi in the lore, minimal. He's going to need to find somebody that is purposely in hiding in some ways. Yes, absolutely. Okay. That is it for our recap of 
episode eight, the redemption. Uh, last episode of season one of The Mandalorian. Let's get into our segment. Spencer, do you have any candidates for best line of the episode? I have a few. Yeah, this, for my mind, um, it was all. Most of this episode was built around maybe best dialogue exchanges rather than necessarily best individual line. So I'm curious to see how you pick between those. But uh, here's the three. Yeah, I got three sets to, to pick from right now. Um, before. Number one, um, the armor saying, I know of such things. The songs of Aeon's past tell of battles between Mandalore the Great and the Order of Sorcerers called the Jedi that fought with such powers. I love that line. I love the lore associated behind it. I love it ties back to one of my favorite video game series in the Star Wars lore, Star Wars Knights of the Old Republic, which someday we're going to make you play, sir, because of how good, how good a story it is. Um, so that, that's one. Number two... Uh, like we talked, like you talked about, the exchange between Mando and the armor. You expect me to search the galaxy for the home of this creature and deliver it to a race of enemy sorcerers? This is the way. <laughs> such, such a great exchange. Um, the entire. Wait a second. I think you say sorcerer is weird. How do I say it? Sorcerers? Yeah, you say sorcerers. It's sorcerers. Sorcerers. You say it like saucer, like a like a tea saucer. So. I just noticed it. <laughs> it's going to be a thing now. Great. Yeah, continue. <laughs> um, uh, the entire exchange between the, the uh, IG and Mando was great. It was really heartfelt. It really shows how much Mando is starting to come to terms with the fact that his prior prejudices may just be those prejudices rather than something that needs yep. to guide your view of people that you actually know and should trust. And then probably what's going to be my recommendation, just because of how powerfully iconic it is, would be the exchange between... Uh, Mando, Apollo Creed, and Kara of where, Mando, I was not born on Mandalore. Apollo, but you're a Mandalorian. Kara, Mandalorian isn't a race. Mando, it's a creed. That is great, and I feel like it's sum it's summarizing a lot of the philosophy that underlies the series. All right, so I have, um, I'm going to go three different lines here awarded for three different things. So one is what Disney wants you to select as best line of the episode, which is, Take care of this little one, or maybe it'll take care of you. Yeah. We're not gonna we're not gonna pick that. It's a little hokey, it, but it's still hard. Ham-handed, but I think that's what Disney wants you. Yeah. We're gonna choose the my favorite line, which I'm not choosing this line of the episode because I have a greater duty, obviously, to our uh, pod to the to our podcast and the listeners to choose the one that I think is the most important line. I don't think it's the most important line. It's just my favorite. It's IG saying, "There's nothing to be sad about. I've never been alive." Hit really, me, Spencer, right there. Really heartfelt line. I love that so much. Yeah, really, really, really hit me. Um, and, and, and my personal favorite. But I will say that the best line of the episode for episode eight, the finale of season one of Disney's Mandalorian is, you expect me to search the galaxy for the home of this creature <laughs> and deliver it to a race of enemy sorcerers? This is the way. Yeah, that's like, that's basically the tagline for season two. It's just like, do you need a plot summary for the TV guide, assuming those are even still printed? that <laughs> man you dated yourself there boy sorry Woo! i'm old just man we lost the millennials right there <laughs> come on you I'm... uh yeah there it is you expect to search the galaxy you expect to search the galaxy for the home of this creature and over to a race of enemy sorcerers this is the way that is the line of the episode mandalorian episode eight the redemption spencer let's go into a segment that is plentiful this week which is uh, nostalgic moment or nostalgic thing or nostalgic person or whatever of the episode. I'm going to need your help with this one because there's there's a lot going on there's here a ton, in terms of options. Man. I mean, yeah, ton. just to name a few that put the resume with me, again, name dropping Mandalore the Great and that history of the Great Wars between the Mandalorians and the Jedi. Oh, I yep. love that kind of lore. I love that kind of references. Really good. 
Uh, see, uh, seeing Darksaber in a live-action film, uh, shocking. Ooh. I was legitimately caught off guard. I even had to double-check that that's what they were doing, rather than like a vibroblade that had the light catch it weird. But no. well, I remember that. I remember that moment because I, I was waiting for the reveal, and and you know, uh, Gus uh, pops out of that Tie Fighter with it, and I'm like, Spencer, do you know what that is? And you were like, uh, 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 uh is it dark? Is it, no, it can't be. No, hold on. And then you were like furiously <laughs> I, I like, was grabbing my computer to start Googling. <laughs> I, I, I refused to accept. It's like, no, 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 no. It's not a lightsaber. It's not a lightsaber. It's a some kind of weird electric fiber of light. It's not dark saber, damn it. It's like, no, it is. Explain this, please. Uh, every appearance of Jawas just makes me giddy. I don't know why. <laughs> That's a good one, yeah. Uh, cool. it, it, like, like the Jawas like starting to scavenge like 14 seconds after the wreck. Mm-hmm. It's pretty great. <laughs> um, seeing Mando get the jetpack, get the the classic iconic Boba Fett jetpack, and then engage in an aerial battle with a TIE fighter is everything I could hope for in terms really, of you know really action strong. scenes for a Star Wars series. Yeah, really strong. But Completely agree. I'm going to also uh, nominate, um, and you know, it rode the line, obviously, but I do think that, I think it worked barely. It worked. Uh, is the stormtroopers trying to, to to fire at some spare part and missing from like eight feet away? Again, I, I think the reason that it worked is that Star Wars works best when it's funny, not silly. And I don't think this crossed mm, the line. Good distinction. Silly is when distinction. silly is when you're not taking yourself seriously and respecting your own material. And I think Star Wars occasionally does that too much. But at its best, it is just having things that are funny. I think this is that, and it works well. Uh, for me, though, and I, I, we say this so often, but for me, the nostalgic moment of the episode is Baby Yoda waddling to the center of the room as the bar is on fire, as the flames are looking around him, and commanding the force with all of the Yoda little hand movements associated with it to blow back the fire on the on the thread. Yep. Mm-hmm. C- could I have picked anything else? Do you agree? I agree. I, I would say that Dark Saber for me is a close second, but I think you got to go with... Baby Yoda using the Force um, in a way that's very recognizable mm. to how we've seen um, my favorite character of all of Star Wars, Yoda, use the Force. Uh, very reminiscent of that. I mentioned it. I probably belabored the point a little bit too much, but I think they took great care with each individual movement that they were doing with Baby Yoda. Thought yeah. it was great. Totally cool with that being a nostalgic moment of the episode. One thing I also say, and this is just something that Star Wars does so well, and I think Fabro does it very well, is you commented on Fabro using motifs well for each of the characters. Of like when we're transitioning mm-hmm. to a moment, we're transitioning to a scene, there's a little audio cue that really co- tits us in to the mindset of the character and what we're going into now. Um, Star Wars does that so well. That's something that Star Wars does really great of where repeated sound effects repeated sound design the continual um, music that underlies star wars so effectively puts me back into the mindset one example that really hit me here is the sound of a tie fighter oh yeah yeah that yeah you're right that screech that tie fighter screech that kind of you know stuka dive bomber tie fighter screech is just so iconic like the moment i hear that little sound cue it immediately goes to my life tie fighter and it's so, I, it was part of the reason it had me smiling ear to ear of when Moth Gideon is swooping down, of just the sound of a TIE fighter swooping in and barreling down in on them was just so putting me back in just the gleeful ages of Star Wars. Yep, right there with you. Completely agree. A lot, lot to 
a um, lot for that segment, I would say. Probably more than any other single episode of this series. I think we had more nostalgic moment of these, moments of the episode here in the finale. And that's great because for a Star Wars lover like me, it really left me wanting more. Excited for season two. And the good news for you, Spencer, is season two is here. You now get to uh, start to feast upon season two. At the time of this recording, the first three episodes of season three are out. I have watched them. You have not. But we will commence to watching and reviewing them together. And if we do or stick to our two a week, we will catch up fairly quickly so that we can watch one of these live and record afterwards. Yeah, here's uh, here's hoping that we do. I, th- I think we will. We got in a pretty good groove here. But anyway, Spencer, I really enjoyed this. Um, I'm really glad we're doing Mandalorian. I've enjoyed reviewing season one with you. Anything else you want to add? No, I think this was a great way to end the season. It just really gives me a lot of confidence for where things can go from here. I think it so perfectly sets up the kind of the journey continues moment, which can be so great for a series like this since it's the massive Star Wars universe. Because it gives them the... They have not just the world, but the entire galaxy to explore. And with someone like Favreau at the helm, there's just so many sights to see, and I'm excited to see them. Completely agree. All right, thanks everybody for listening. We are going to be uh, back with our coverage of Season 2 as soon as we possibly can. Thank you for listening. See you!